Um, <laughs> um, thank you so much, Rob, for joining us. Uh, Rob is the uh, grower over at um, uh, or, uh, with Austin Aquaponics, and he does uh, also some hemp growing separately uh, down in Texas. So he's been doing been aquaponic hemp for the last three years, and we're excited to have him on the show. Hey guys, I'm hoping you can hear me. Can I get an audio check? Yeah, you're good. Awesome, good. Yeah, we're running a little bit late. We had a long weekend playing airsoft. I'm not sure how many folks are familiar with uh, 300 guys shooting plastic BBs at each other, but uh, that's what we did for two days. And uh, barely made it back to the hotel just in time to get online. So thanks for having us. Um, I have to say some of the presenters are amazing. I don't feel quite as uh, informative as some of these guys, but um, you know, I was hoping to just share what we've been up to with uh, our recent history with a little bit of hemp. And as you know, Texas is still kind of figuring things out and um, they're just not where I wish they were. But it has been a few years since I've done anything and been to the Aquaponic Association or anything. And so I really was looking forward to this chance to kind of come out of the COVID closet, if you will. Um, haven't had folks out for training or anything. So long story short, thanks for having me, Steve. Um, you and I were talking about some of the stuff I've done recently, and I just thought I'd share some of our aquaponic vegetation stuff first, and then we could talk about my little bit of hemp. And then I was really hoping to talk more about system design features and whatnot. If I had really put together a presentation, it would be on system design. Um, that being said, I just thought I'd start some slideshows. Did you have any uh, thoughts or comments first? Um, no, I, I think it's nice to finally hear. We don't. We've only spoken so far to one other Texas producer to date, so nice. it's really cool to hear some people for some people that are in states that traditionally people don't think of as cannabis states. Well, I gotta say, unfortunately, I don't think we're a cannabis state. Although um, there is, you know, there's a lot of players in the state that I think when it does happen, they're gonna be ready to really show you what the southern coast has to offer. Um, I was hoping to pull up some photos. I, I've had all kinds of fun working on presentation, uh, trying to get uh, PowerPoint to work remotely. Um, but uh, let me start a screen share. I'm super crusty on my Zoom acumen, if you will. So, um, what does that do? I think I might have clicked on the wrong thing there, guys. One more second. Stop that. New share. All right. Does that um, get us where we need to be? Yep. And uh, there we go. So if you know me, you know I like my SketchUp drawings, and um, we were trying our hand at going with the new standard operating procedures requirements and good agricultural practices considerations and whatnot, and we were trying to go with the new pre-filtered recommendation for everything, and we're trying to avoid some of the costly um, aquaculture filtration that's out there. And this was my effort at coming up with a, you know, radio filter and uh, by uh, MBBR by, uh, going back to, in this case, a twin set of fish tanks. And I really like this because it's so good at uh, a small foot 
print. Sorry, I had a few slides out of place. Uh, and this was a family that decided they wanted to uh, do a farmer's market on their property. And this was their, what I call, two bay family farm. And um, this is a couple of slides out of place, but you know how that gets. Um, this was what we came up with for these folks. So they had a little bit of everything. They wanted media beds, uh, raft, as well as some wicking beds. And um, I'm really heavy on construction photos and I'll take pictures for sharing with folks all the way down to just so I can show them, you know, this corner. <laughs> so, hey, you want to weld that together, et cetera. So if some of these pictures seem, uh, non-growing related it's because they're really construction related so but um i really enjoy the technical part of of greenhouses and aquaponics if, if you don't know me i'm really a construction guy and i like building this stuff I, I always say i'm i love building farms i don't really care for operating them i look forward to the day and i've actually learned this is an oxymoron as well or whatever I think I look forward to the day when we can grow and harvest and trim cannabis, but from the experience I've had so far with trimming 20 pounds, 40 pounds at a time, I'm not so sure <laughs> I even want to do a 300 pound harvest, but I do still have fun thinking about it, drawing it up and building it for clients. So this is, uh, I'll zip through some of these construction photos, but this was our, I, what I consider an ideal family farm. If you just want a little bit of everything. Uh, one eight foot by 96 foot raft with some uh, good old beaver boards. These are 12 media beds. Each of them are five foot wide and 16 foot long. They're not really divided in half. That's just a little brace bracket. Um, and of course, 12 inches deep. And we are using, this is something Steve and I talked about a week ago or so that we've actually gone to using, uh, and I may have a closer photo of it, crushed granite pink uh, crushed granite for our media because it's inert and it's cheap. Can't really get our hands on pumice or lava rock or anything else. So, And this is us getting this thing together. It's showing so again some more of the construction components. And they actually boxed this thing in. It was I told them to put it outside in its own little area that they would get tired of hearing it. And they came in and they actually boxed this off with a really heavily insulated corner. And at first I was like so-so about it, but it actually turned out great and it silenced it quite well. Um, some more of the same. And they were trying to get in there and start planting by the time we finished. And I think I have some photos in here of this thing fully decked out. If not, I'll get back to that. But um, this was an ideal build. It went really, really well. This was a uh, scenario where they had their own contractor and they wanted to do it themselves with just my oversight and uh, supervision and whatnot. And between the drawings and my oversight, I suppose, I think they did a very good job. If I could have these guys build greenhouses for me, one right after the other, <laughs> they would be my crew for sure. Um, sorry, probably boring you with this. Give me a second. I think y'all all know what a lot of this looks like. Again, back to the drawings. I think uh, I'm a fan of any well-designed system should have no, no issues with, you know, getting it done. And uh, this is all done to pretty standard uh, ratios. And that's something I want to talk with Steve more about. And I feel like if I had watched your 500 hours of 
content, I'd probably know some of these answers. But the fun thing that I'm realizing with uh, some of the new cannabis aquaponic systems designs, if you will, is that you can use a lot less water to, to do the dual root zone and stretch the system for miles. And so that's something I look forward to seeing utilized and brought to life. So I think that'll be really cool. Um, in fact, for the last few months, uh, Steve, what I've been doing primarily is these drawings for uh, other folks and greenhouse guys in the cannabis industry, but just nothing to do with, um, let me stop share real quick. Nothing to do with cannabis, unfortunately. Um, and uh, I have a different one here. Let me just get to it. Sorry, I'm so used to having triple screens that I don't know how to behave on just a single... Uh, <laughs> Uh, just one little laptop. I feel very handicapped. Give me one more second. All right. I think this is it. Um, this is a, uh, and I'm, I'm still there. We're on, is it still on me or the deal? No, it's still on you. Do you have to screen share again? That's Sorry cool. guys. I'm almost there. Good at building stuff. Not so great at, uh, um, zooming. There it is. Okay. Um, so you're familiar with this farm. I think you've had a visit here. This was a classic scenario of a whole lot of farm at once for a new grower. And I think if you were to talk to this young man again, he would say that he might have bit off a bit much. This was a huge project and it went well. The construction went well. Everything went according to plan. Um, he grew some lettuce and um, Sorry, me and my drawings. This is just us putting all this together. I, I, you know, I'm a fan of, in these giant greenhouses full of rafts, I, I really am a fan of just throwing them together and eliminating some of the walk space. And this was actually the first time I had tried that and it, I think it worked good. We stuffed a bunch of fish in here. And again, with the, um, one-off, you know, filtration, but it all did its job. Turns out these static media were a bit more work to clean on a, I'd say up to twice a week basis by the time they had these fully loaded. These are all 1200 gallon tanks filled up to about a thousand gallons. And um, you would have to clean this thing two or three times a week to really keep it where you wanted. And that, that was just too much for this scenario because they had six sets of those that they would have had to keep up with. And that would mean basically you're cleaning a filter a day. Um, and it would probably take you a couple, three hours to do it properly. And so we had to do some tweaks on that. But this is just more of the construction photos here. And, you know, now that we're talking about cannabis, I kept telling this guy that if he wanted to try hemp, that we could turn this into one big light depth just so easily. But um, we didn't quite make it there. Uh, this is just some more of it coming together. Uh, again, it's too bad you can't just throw plants across all of this raft and get this to grow hemp or cannabis, but... And I guess that's debatable. But uh, it did come together nice and we grew a ton of lettuce. I think he finally got up to about 9,000 units a week. 
Um, and that was kind of maxing out the local distribution because he was in Dallas and the majority of his stuff was headed out of town. It was a logistical challenge to say the least, but um, he definitely put all this equipment to use and grew a lot of lettuce. He got in here and built quite the uh, starter chamber. I think they said they were capable of 13,000 starts per week. And they were doing uh, the one inch cells to match the raft boards. And they are doing a cocoa. I think they were into a cocoa um, vermiculite mix, but they were mixing and uh, putting in, they did get certified organic through Oregon Tilth. And that was cool. And then this is uh, the long story that Steve's privy to where we added some additional aeration and that was a huge effort and which I'll, I should comment as far as uh, system design considerations go. This system was designed to be a airlift only. Sorry, turning off the room air conditioner. Airlift only system that should have had plenty of, you know, oxygen content to grow the plants and, and it did. And then there was heat issues and different stuff. And for some reason, we all decided to add more air. That may have affected our pH, which is a pretty, uh, it's not a very well known concept that uh, high oxygen levels can actually affect the, the way pH is handled throughout an aquaponic system. And I think Steve can expand on that more. Long story short, there's a lot of air stones in all those rafts <laughs> and long day putting it together. Whole lot of kale, whole lot of uh, Salanova lettuces. That was somebody's attempt at a raft cleaning thing. And if you've ever had to clean, you know, 400 raft boards a week, you, you look for any help you can get. Steve, am I boring these guys with lettuce picks? Do you think I could no, last? Can you tell us a little bit more about mineralization and the process of converting the fish waste uh, and what methods that you found work well? Well, if anyone has followed my history, you would probably know that I'm the uh, media bed guy. That, that if anything, I went into the hybrid option and went with rafts after my media beds. And so I'm a kind of an old school aquaponic guy, if you will. And I like a media bed capturing straight solids with the help of some red wigglers and figured out that if you go with the lower stocking densities, you can actually keep a media bed from clogging. And when, in fact, when they got around to making the, you know, aquaponic association recommendations in regard to media beds, we didn't agree with anything they said, and I was personally quite offended that they didn't ask the guy who actually had 10 years of media bed experience at the time that, you know, no one got sick. We never had Salanova or <laughs> Salmonella or E. coli, on and on and on. Um, that's a whole nother concept, but this was a, a standard uh, deal, and there was actually some additional, um, there was in this system, let me get back to one of the earlier slides here real quick. There is a media bed in, built into it. So each of these mega rafts 
were decoupled, if you will, so that we could feed them as we wanted and then control them as their own little loop. And this actually, this blue box right here is the sump to this entire layout. And um, it circulated amongst itself right here. This media was intended to be the pH buffer for all of this. And if it had gone according to the design, the system would have gone acidic. And then instead of just using something like crushed granite or, or a, a totally inert media, you would have been able to add in, and this is per my regular practice, add in um, regular river rock that has just enough lime content that it will raise, it'll regulate the pH. And if so, if you're using, you know, a, a high pH well water, you would use less river rock. And if you're using, you know, a, a lower pH leaning towards rainwater, et cetera, you would add more river rock. But with a little time and um, an adjustment, you can actually dial in your local water source to your system's uh, acidity and get it to balance out. Well, there was so much going on in this environment, and I think that's where Steve <laughs> got invited to help offer his two cents, et cetera, on how to remediate pH in this gigantic system and keep things going. And it definitely goes back to the whole, don't just throw a bunch of oyster shell in there and then keep throwing more in and, and then need to dump the whole thing on and on. Don't, I won't go down that conversational path, but... That was uh, how this system is designed, and it does work in that way. Um, but as far as mineralization, it was a standard. Let me get back to some of these folks here. You know, we were going for solid separation and a little bit of a moving bed bioreactor. There was a sludge collection tank built but they connected a septic system to it, decided to just run the whole stuff out into a full-blown 5,000 square foot septic system just to dump fish poop. So that is certainly not something I would have uh, put in my design, but it is an option. Um, but um, it did get insane uh, nitrogen creation in my, in my opinion. Um, uh, the, his, the, the, Truth be known, with this farm, they actually found an organic uh, liquid nitrogen that they were using that basically they ran this system without fish and turned it into a hydroponic system. So, um, And I think they're, they were considering moving towards hemp production to some point. If nothing else, we were talking about what a great system this would be for, uh, you know, cloned, you know, cuttings and or seedlings. Because if you can produce 13,000 seedlings a week, I think you could sell some cuttings, I mean, some plants. So, um, but there wasn't much to it other than that. No, that, that farm is still actually not still there. It needs some repairs after a small fire in the tank room, to be honest. Had to deal with some electricians that didn't know these heaters were decommissioned. So <laughs> farmers beware. Um, any other questions on that one, Steve, before I move on? Let's see. Uh, uh, you had a, uh, I go up, there was, uh, you had a picture of the inside of the plumbing of your, um your uh, solid separators. I just wanted sure. to see if you could show sure. that. Sure, that sure. Go down. So, yeah. uh, that one and then the next one down. That one there. Let's see, what would that be? That's going to be the MBBR. Hold on. There's the yeah. MBBR. 
Yeah. Okay. And so we threw a ton of air in there. I tried my best to do the, the gosh, how do you do this? Here we go. Try my best to do the exact, uh, you know, uh, pounds per or air pounds per gallon, or I mean, per cubic foot. And as far as I know, this entire system was sized, you know, exactly the ratio it needed to be. And as far as I know, we never had any, you know, conversion issues. It was, you know, it was always nitrate, never anything else. But what were you going to ask about this? I'm sorry. I just wanted to people to see. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, you know, by the way, again, these are two, these are 2000 gallon systems ran through basically, I think this was a 350 cone bottom. And, um, these all came from poly tank, good fish tanks, but these were all uh, cone bottom, you know, acid tanks or whatever. And we cut the top off and fully built all of this. It was, <laughs> it was quite a party. Um, let me, uh, put that aside. I want to see what else I wanted to show you guys. I guess I could show you a little bit of my, what's my new hat? I guess I could get into my little bit of the hemp that I uh, grew. Yeah. Let me stop share. I don't know exactly what I'm doing here. For some reason I can't, oh, it's way up on top. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, Oh, we got a different program. Oh, I guess I'm going to have to pull that up first. Give me a second. Yeah, Steve, I wish I had the chance to watch more of your uh, this weekend. I'm hoping uh, it sounded like you had some technical issues yesterday. Hopefully, I can oh, avoid. This morning, this morning, we had all kinds of issues trying to get the stream to work, and we like we were like a minute late and just barely got the stream live and had to re redo the whole back end of the, the links and stuff for the speakers, but we managed to keep the original link for all of the, the viewers the same, which was the important part. So. Hey, by my clock, we had two minutes to spare. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. hey. right. Says the technical That's producer. It. Says the technical producer. All right. Is that popping up some other greenhouse stuff? Yep. Um, this is the other thing that kind of took me out of the aquaponic scene for a couple of years. I was really blessed starting, I think, early 2018. Uh, greenhouse company out of Oregon made contact, said, hey, we understand you like building greenhouses, go build some light depth. So I got to kind of stick my nose into the light depth world. And, you know, uh, Oklahoma is the closest cannabis state to Texas. So it's... Um, it was nice to go up there and work. Now we learned quite a bit and I was able to uh, share some information back to uh, Oregon that says, hey, <laughs> you don't wanna do an external greenhouse or an external light depth greenhouse in a cornfield. So if you guys look in the background, there's not a tree to be seen for 60 miles. And if there is a tree, it's because someone planted it at their house, but there's nothing but 500 acre corn circles in this part of the world. And so, uh, and these are all kits sold. So they, you know, they send you a light depth, uh, a light trap and they send you a fan and they tell you to make it work. And so we're going to town, putting all that together. This is us boxing up a, uh, evaporative cooler wall and they went all out and did the slanted you know, drain concrete floor they're going to do rolling benches etc 
Uh, you guys trimming out a wet wall there? Is that what that? What's that? I'm sorry. Were you guys trimming out a wet wall there? Look like. Yes. Again, they. You know. You know how light depth greenhouses are. You. You've got. Um. You, you've got a louver keeps the bugs and the wind out, and then you've got an evaporative cooler, and then you have to squeeze in somewhere a light trap. And so we're boxing that up. And I've got some. It's you know just funny you ask. Again, I'm all about the construction picks. And so I have in detail because I would ask these guys, okay, so how does this go? Uh, you know, do you have a picture for me? And they're like, yeah, you know, put that on the outside, put that on the inside, box it up. And they, they you know, okay, well, again, no pit now. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to take pictures of whatever I do and I'll send them to you. Maybe they'll be helpful for the next guy. Well, coincidentally, two years later, they've called me and they said, hey, look, we want you to basically draw all of our drawings and, and do all of our stuff for us. So I've been working for them and uh, it's been a nice relationship that, that sounds like it's never ending. I took this picture specifically to say, look, guys, if you're, if you're prospecting a greenhouse in Oklahoma, you need to ask them, is there a windmill in sight? <laughs> because if there is, external just isn't going to cut it because it just bought us. Boy, anyone who's ever put a greenhouse together knows you don't do it in the wind. And there's just, there's never a no wind. This is the light wind day of the month that day, that month. But anyway, we got it all together. We got it in there. This is us throwing the EVAP on. And this, these pictures will show you a little more of the effort we had to go through to make this work. So we had to build out our own flashing. The good news is, is these guys have since come up with a really great flashing set that's made out of really good uh, bent, I, I think it's um, aluminum. But they have a big aluminum flashing kit that goes with this now, where you just hang the flashing and stick the stuff in it and it all screws together and saves you probably a three days work. Oops. Um, anyway, it's, it's basically, you have to get the shutters installed you want to make sure that they're all pigtailed together and then you have to find a place to mount this stuff because it's like, where do I put the motor? This isn't, this isn't the normal scenario. So we got jiggy with it and mounted it all tight as we could and whatever. Um, let's see. And then you got to stick the light traps in between and then, oops, and then you put the EVAP pads on the outside and you're good to go. Um, I'm sorry, I must have stuck in an aquaponic bill. This is actually, I guess, something else we did that year. Um, this is a gentleman who, for the record, I didn't build this greenhouse or design it. Someone else did, but uh, we were putting this aquaponic system in there. Uh, the old shower drain to some two-inch PVC. But bing it's, it's a great drain because it, you can, let me open this up a bit, because you can adjust your height if you want and get more or less. Uh, there's a good old AST endurance. Again, I get real jiggy with taking installation pictures just because I do, <laughs> I like it. For me, this is, this is eye candy for aquaponic builders, if you will, but I think you get the gist. This is, uh, I'll, I'll tell you more about this as I go. Um, this was a 300 gallon tank hooked up to the Endurance 2000, I believe, 180-gallon uh, tank. Go ahead. I'm sorry. This was a prawn oh, tank. They wanted to try some prawn, and so we threw in this 180-gallon uh, rectangle. I've wound up filling it to, I think, 150. 
here's the sump slash uh, raft. And so basically this circulates to itself constantly. This circulates constantly out of fish tank, through prawn tank, through filtration, back to fish tank. That's its own loop. This constantly circulates from sump to fish tank coming out of uh, the top up here. And then a different pump, let me see. I didn't really mean to show you guys all of this. This is kind of aquaponics 101, but what the heck? Oh, I didn't have the page. Anyway, there's a different pump in there that goes, you know, is the media bed pump. And so there's a different pump in this uh, left side that circulates between the media beds and, and back to the raft. So. Can you tell us you had a wicking bed there too? Do you want to tell everybody about that? Yeah, let me get a little further along. Yeah, so sure. basically this 300 gallon tank in, in my favorite ratios in media beds, a 300 gallon tank would feed two uh, four by eight media beds. So what I did is one four by eight and then I did one 12 by, or sorry, 16, but we only did about six or six inches of gravel, five or four or five inches of water. Um, and I, I, they promised me that they would take my advice and not overplant this because I told them, don't put tomatoes or, or uh, vine plants, you know, that are going to have hum humongous root systems. And I think I have a picture in here of where they, <laughs> what the greenhouse looked like six months later. But this was the wicking bed right here. I, I'm, all, I'm a huge fan of wicking beds. And if you're trying to have a good, fun, um, gardening experience, I think wicking beds will steer you right. So we threw in a 16 foot wicking bed too. Um, in, in fact, I don't know how many folks are on the fence about wicking beds, but I've seen and tried it all. And every wicking bed I know of that we've ever built or, or that any of my friends have done as well, it's always their favorite experience. Like, oh, how are things going about? Well, this happened with the aquaponics and this happened with this and whatever. But man, the wicking beds just <laughs> keep on killing it. And in the hydroponic world, there's the uh, um, conceived notion or whatever that they get salty and they build up and this, that, and the other. And I got to be honest, when we did ours as close to living soil as we could, and really it was just a self-watering system, it it never had any issues. I can't say I'm going and doing tests and whatever other than, you know, PPMs and whatever, but we never had anything that was alarming or, or disturbing. And then here I am doing, you know, again, drawings for the, the next installer. This was a different greenhouse we did up in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, if you're, if you plan on building greenhouses for folks and you call ahead and they, and you say, your site plan is ready, right? And it's raised and everything's good to go. You might want to ask them for a photo to confirm because they had built a, a pond, in my opinion. It looks than, flat to me. What do you mean? <laughs> it's, it's flat, uh, but it could have used a little bit of something. But anyway, we're out there. It, it, of course, it's, it, I think it was January. And so that's, that's 33 degree mud you're looking at right there. Um, we had fun with that. But um, oh, goodness, this is just me with construction picks. This was them. Uh, this was a, a really neat couple. They were retired, basically. And 
they had their really nice property in Oklahoma and they threw down a little, uh, this was actually a, a an SIP building, structural insulated panels, whatever you want to call it. Made a great little, you know, start room and whatever. But heck, by the time I left, they had three of them delivered and they were already, you know, vegged out and they were going to town. And it's been two years now and they're having fun. They said they've hit top shelf in Oklahoma. I wish I could tell you this was all aquaponic, but it's not. But I will tell you that they're, they're total organic and living soil folks. And I really liked what they are doing and um, I, um, want to do. Again, this is just showing the complexity of, hey, you need to make a 30-inch fan and a 30-inch light box work. It's like, okay, how? And I just start putting it together. It's like, oh my goodness. So there's that. Um, this is hang a heater, hang a fan. Come on, Steve, ask me some good questions. I could go off uh, of that. Anything that you think is key for design in the southern states? You've had a lot of experience working in the higher height, higher heat things. I noticed that personally dealing with that, uh, I found that geothermal has been very critical uh, and certainly helps reduce costs quite a bit uh, compared to some of the other ones uh, or a split level design. Uh, kind of like you'd see in the Caribbean where the, or, or in the tropics where the, the, you have kind of, instead of a, a full loop, you have like a, a loop and a half loop that can open up to dump that heat out. Those two designs, or even a high-pitched Gothic one like you see there, uh, all, all work uh, really well for getting that heat up and away from the plants. Yeah, that really is the hot topic right now in the entire hemp cannabis greenhouse conversation is, do we want an evaporative cooler or not? Um, Will geothermal work as well in central or southern Texas as it does in mid to northern Colorado? And we're pretty sure it won't, but there's, uh, there's not a lot of good um, trial that I can compare. Um, so far, everyone who's running evaporative coolers are still doing fine. I don't know anyone growing greenhouse flower in the summer. That, that doesn't have an evaporative cooler. Now, do they have mold issues and whatnot? I'm not intimately involved enough to know if they're failing tests or not, but I, I will say they're successfully growing some pretty great looking flower. So I'd say that you can't consider not consider, you can't consider going without an evaporative cooler, but I do think we're looking for a drier, a drier uh, cooling such as the geothermal. And, I'm anxious to hear back from some of the folks in Colorado that have tried some of the newer series with the GOT and all that and the ground geothermal. And I, I haven't heard anything yet. Um, have you is something I've been kind of hoping to catch up on. Have you heard of, of that stuff working for everyone? In Florida, you mean? No, in at least uh, Colorado, as far as... Oh, geothermal? Oh, yeah. we yeah. Robbie and I did some... Uh, uh, not only the, the R&D greenhouse that we ran... Uh, but also he's built some much bigger ones now uh, that were uh, for other vegetable facilities utilizing the geothermal. Uh, and it, if you ha have it scaled right, it can be really good in, in hotter climates. The problem is in, in the hotter climates, you have to go deeper. You have to have more surface area underground uh, than in the colder areas where you have more of a temperature difference. But even in Oklahoma, the problem you have in Oklahoma, this is the biggest issue, and I'm sure it's going to be similar in Texas, is that your water table is pretty close to the surface uh, in most of the state. So you have to be careful on 
making sure that you put uh, at least a, a well uh, somewhere deep in the, uh, the deepest portion of it so that you can pump the water out and keep it dry. Um, that's the biggest thing is that if you get heavy, heavy rains, like we've had, you know, pretty crazy rains here in Oklahoma, both in 2019 and again this year. Uh, and uh, you want to be able to make sure that you don't get completely flooded out and have, you know, issues underground with that thing filling up with, with groundwater. Yeah, like uh, this property as an example, it, it's just, it, this whole hill is sloped into this once upon a, you know, horse pasture. And they needed to just raise it up, but they kind of cut it. <laughs> they, they should have brought some more to it. But, but you know, uh, a little bit of moisture helps the whole geo transfer, uh, thermal transfer, correct? But so you're saying it'll do it. literally flood the pipe system, the air. Oh, right? yeah. The other way you can do it, so say you have a really shallow aquifer. Say you wanted to do thermal exchange and you're at a place like Dutch Bloom's greenhouse, who... If he digs an eight, eight, eight or 10 foot deep hole in his backyard, he's got water in it, right? Like his water table is real high. Um, if you had a situation like that, what you can do is you can drill down to your aquifer and then just pull water up from that and then pump it back down. Um, we actually did that in a, uh, two different places in Colorado uh, where Robbie did, uh, the guy I did a lot of R&D with this on, and actually had it so cold they had to, to really throttle it back because it was just chilling the slab and basically making it like a refrigerator. Uh, so uh, you, you can actually, it works very well. Actually, it would work extremely well in places like Texas where you do have very cold groundwater. Uh, I know I love swimming in that spring there in Austin uh, when I come to visit. Yeah, if you could grow hemp close enough to Barton Springs, you'd be on to something. And you could, you could probably, um, what I say, mark or label that, you know. But um, yeah, see, and that's the debate. I know we have a higher ground temp. Um, I'll say this, not every area has high groundwater levels, water tables. It's not as common in, in central Texas and up, but then there's wet pockets. Texas is quite a diverse um, terrain, if you will. But So I'd love to think that that might be the answer. I'll tell you one thing, as a guy who stands around in a 125 degree greenhouse in August, it's hard to imagine geothermal really pulling that much air out in that it's a closed, environment and you never expel it just seems like if you don't pull that trapped heat out it's it's going to be a struggle but um, well, for, for sure it, it again it just like you're saying no one thing is going to solve it it's about stacking that with with other methods but it will definitely take a good you know 10 or 15 degrees off of it off of that uh well that you know me i'm all about the hybrid designs on anyway so it sounds like you it's like i think jd did in uh in colorado is you you go ahead and have the evaporative cooler for that day that you just you need to pull the air out and pull something through so and oh, yeah. then i can just remediate the humidity from there but um, the other thing you can do too is uh we did this as well in that same r d greenhouse with robbie uh, and we've done this again since then in other facilities is using solar water heaters in the winter time to heat the water as heat exchangers and then in the summertime running them at night in order to um, it work as, as radiators. So you, say your water temperature is hotter than the air temperature, uh, all you have to do at nighttime is flip on those, those heaters and they'll act as radiators to dissipate that heat and cool that water down. Um, right. So you can use them uh, both for heating and cooling and people often don't talk about the cooling ability of the water uh, for those, especially when it comes into July and, you know, it might only get down to 70 or 72. Well, that's okay. I can bleed off, you know, plenty of degrees every day of, of water at nighttime just by circulating those solar water heaters at night. 
Yeah, that reminds me of a guy. This is a much smaller system where he was trying to figure out. I, I kind of parked on that prawn picture. I'll keep moving. He was trying to figure out a way to use a rocket heater to heat his, and I think in his case, it was a 300-gallon IBC tote connected to a whole series of stuff. But he would he realized that he could take and run the rocket fuel thing, rocket heater through the IBC tote through a weird, you know, four by six box that he built that actually went down and through and then rocketed up out of the top. But he would damn near boil that water during the day while he was in there, you know, doing chores and whatever. And he had it down to, I think he, he had a number, I forget, but it wasn't a lot of wood. It was just a little thing of wood each day. And he would run that through there right before sunset and basically try to boil that water as hot as he could get it and then just let it sit. And then he had a temp control pump that would circulate his tank water through that. And the water was like 120 when he would leave it. And when he came in the next day, that 300 gallon IBC would only get down to about 90, but his fish tank in a you know 30 degree evening would stay 70 degrees, I think he was going for or something like that. So it was pretty neat heat exchange. I don't know how well you could do that on a larger scale, but I do love the idea of using Typical hailstorm come through uh, Oklahoma. And so this was us going back to replace that external light depth curtain. By then they had uh, thrown in some cannabis. And again, I wish I could tell you that was all connected to aquaponics, but it's not. I don't really know why those are there. Let me stop that. Um, let's see, I think I can get around to showing you mine now. Just we have about five minutes left. Oh, wow. Let me hurry up and show you. <laughs> um, for some reason, I'm not finding the my hemp PowerPoint. I'm just going to uh, start a slideshow. Forgive me. What the heck? Fish. Um, I'll, I'll skip the videos. I had a bunch of videos to show you on the just long, slow pan. Sorry. I forgot that this was cannabis and not aquaponic. Um, let's see, let me share, sorry. Again, Steve, thanks for having me. I hate to dart in and out of here, but I'm gonna run through these. This was a nice bud full of uh, ladybugs. <laughs> um, some Bubba Kush we tried. Uh, this was uh, one of our first yield picks. It was actually a Moneymaker CBG. It was our very first strain that we shared a, a cutting purchase with some other guys. Um, it came out really good. I tried my hardest to go ahead and pump up this first set. I think I was even using some sweeteners and we did a, you know, cold bloom powder on the 11th week and we really didn't hit these very much with supplements other than we did the traditional iron and magnesium that we always do in the system. Um, we would foliar spray, foliar spray with some um, um, maxi crop with iron this time, but we, you know, again, I dosed my system. So I really wasn't spraying the maxi crop with iron for iron. It was going for the, the liquid seaweed. And then our iron was just a chelated, uh, um, I think a 9% we're at right now. Chelated iron, some money maker. These things came out really sticky. I was really pleased with them. Um, you know how it is, a photo just doesn't do a bud any justice. But um, 
let's see. We really kept it kind of minimal. I was doing more phenome searching than anything. Really wasn't expecting much of a market. So I didn't want to do a 200 pound harvest or even try 200 plants. So uh, we really didn't keep count, but I'll say out of all of it, I got out of all these plants, it's really only about 90 something plants planted really late and short. Um, I got about six harvest harvested about six usable or I should say sellable pounds. There's plenty that could have been, you know, extracted or whatever. But, um, oh, just for an update on the Texas scene, the, the, I don't know how many of you keep up with the, even the hemp flower is kind of iffy and taboo. They can't decide if they want to allow us to sell, possess, or smoke flower hemp. So we're kind of in this, what else are we going to do with the stuff? Um, the Delta eight was kind of taken over the scene and I was, getting excited about maybe doing carts or something there, but they just, they just schedule one that back, back to schedule one in Texas. Oh, this, these slides are out of um, order, but this is what happened after the 20 degree freeze um, that we had. Now, quite honestly, I was thinking about this the other day when I was showing Steve these pics, I'm not so sure it was the cold that got them because this plant went through the same cold. It just didn't have mice damage at the base. <laughs> Let me zoom in on that. You'll see these little mice traps I've got everywhere, and I've just, it's such crappy-looking farming practices. But man, I've never had mice come in and chew our plants as bad as this. And they really decided they love the hemp stalks. I'm sure they were kind of getting forced in from the cold weather and everything. But it was a battle. I wasn't quite ready or interested I in. That. I heard that from a couple of other uh, producers in uh, in Oklahoma as well. That when that cold snap hit, they were just you know, hard to keep out of the grows in some places. So it was a, it, like I say, we're out there trying to shove shovel snow into a Texan. That's that just is as foreign as it gets. Here we go. I couldn't get my slice to work. And I had this one uh, really red beauty pop up, and I was hoping that was going to turn into something. And I tried to get ahead of it and maybe seed it and whatnot, but I decided I'm not going to bother. I'm not that prepared to start fathering. But uh, I took this big long photo. This is the property after the big snowmageddon um, in Texas. We had, you know, a week of no power and sub-freezing temperatures. A lot of people's pipes and wells and stuff burst like we've never seen before. Um, we lucked out. Our, our property had power. Are we running out of time? Yeah, we're, we're about out of time. Uh, why don't you tell everybody how to find you and, uh, and more about what you've been doing down there in, in Texas? Well, we're Austin Aquaponics. Uh, my website is pretty out of date as far as our current services. I, I still post classes from 2019 and I've just, I really took almost a lot. I'll say we took the last two years off with this whole um, shutdowns and everything, but we are uh, coming back online. I would say just check us out, sign up on our newsletter if you're interested in keeping up with us. Um, we're gonna eventually try to do some aquaponic cannabis at least tours through our place, if not classes. I'm hoping to invite someone like Steve Resner down to kind of do that. We'll see. But um, if you want to keep up with us, just check out our news, our, our email list and um, uh, keep up. We just don't have anything really current to announce. I'm actually going back to Oregon to do some greenhouse stuff. So I'll be anxious to join you guys on the next, maybe the next conference or on your next uh, um, podcast, Steve. All right. Thank you so much. Again, thank you. Take care. Take it easy.